Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president-elect for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. And I'm Christina Eanes, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ETD. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For today's episode, we are interviewing the founder of Don Snyder Associates, the past president of the Central Ohio Chapter of ATD, and the advisory board member of the Doctorate of Professional Studies in Instructional Design Leadership at Franklin University, Dr. Don Snyder. Welcome, Don. Well, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I look forward to talking with all of you. This should be a lot of fun. Now, before we jump into our topic of performance improvement, would you share with us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Well, as you mentioned before, I am the past president of the Central Ohio chapter. I've been in this field for my whole career. And what I'm doing now is that I help organizations improve performance by crafting the right learning strategy and designing an effective curriculum. So my focus area in my practice is performance improvement, as well as employing that to build long-term capacity in organizations. So I've been working in this field for over 25 years, and I've also worked in a couple of universities building curricula and programs. And um, at a software company where my team actually won an award for training having an impact on the business. And that's that performance improvement at work right there. So in addition to consulting, I teach in a couple of graduate programs. And um, I really enjoy the mix of work that I have and the opportunity to work with other professional talent, emerging talent, and others in the field. Very interesting background. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. That sounds like quite an interesting set of experiences. Now, would you tell us about the benefits that result from implementing a performance improvement strategy? Well, the main benefits of a performance improvement strategy is that you really look at what your problem or opportunity is and you figure out the set of solutions um, that is needed to actually get an organizational result. So instead of really focusing on some sort of activities, we're really putting the results that we want to get front and center, and we're organizing everything that we do to efficiently and effectively get people to that goal. I'm just curious, uh, can you share with our listeners? How about three, three keys to successful improvement that crosses maybe a a variety of industries? Okay, so if you were approaching a problem and you wanted to figure out what needed to happen, I'd say the first thing that you would need to think about or engage in is a performance analysis. And this is really an analysis that takes a look at what's currently happening 
and and identifies the gap between what's happening and what needs to be happening. So the desired results and the current results. And then understanding how big that gap is, what the value of closing that gap would be to the organization, and then what are the various causes of that gap. So one of the key strategies to applying performance improvement across any organization is doing this kind of analysis work so that we really are focused on on what is going to have an impact on the problem. I would suggest that another one would be um, making sure that we stay laser focused on results. You know, it's very easy in our field. We get involved in creating um, our solutions and sometimes we get caught up in those activities. Um, We detour away from the results that we want to get. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we're focused on what we're creating and not what we intend to accomplish. We get attached to what we're doing. And so I would say that that focus on results is really another critical strategic element of being able to impact performance. Because if we don't know what we're trying to impact, we certainly can't get ourselves there. And then I think the third thing that I'd pull out if I'm if I'm confined to three would be that we really need to think about organizations as systems. So when we go in and we tinker with one aspect of an organization, we hope to have an impact, but we can have an unintended impact on another part of an organization. You know, yeah. So for example, I had a client who wanted to build this Um, You know, this is back in the day when we used to print manuals and send them out. So she she wanted she wanted to. Well, I've been in the field a long time, but this illustrates the point. She wanted to uh, get rid of that maintenance, make sure people had the most current information. And so she suggested posting the manuals on a system. Well, that was a great idea. And the work progressed and everything got posted on the system. But nobody ever checked to make sure that people who were using that material as a reference could access it the same time they were on their systems doing their work. So the unintended impact by not thinking, you know, systemically about the solution was that people were then instead of, uh, you know, printing a manual and having it sent to them, they were printing manuals on their own sites and then not even aware if there were changes to the manual. So, so those three things, I think doing a really good analysis to figure out the gap in the cause, focusing on results and staying laser focused on that. And then remembering that organizations are systems. And when we start uh, intervening in a system, we can have unintended consequences. Those are, are three strategic elements. Oh, absolutely. Okay, let's not confine you. Where else do you want to take us? <laughs> oh, where else would we go? Yes. Well, I would say one of the things about performance improvement that uh, I think people would really benefit from knowing is it's often 
used in combination with other talent development strategies. So a lot of times people will look at me and say, well, gosh, you do performance improvement, like it's sort of a standalone thing. But the depth and breadth of the things I would have to be able to do to create every performance solution that would impact an organization is impossible to achieve. So one of the things that's really key is being able to, um, once you figure out what sorts of things are needed, being able to partner and being able to leverage other resources, bring the right people to the table at the right time. So a lot of this work is done um, in terms of having partnerships and being able to collaborate with other people. You know, a lot of emerging talent in the field comes to me and say, I want to be a performance consultant. And they picture themselves going in there and being a lone problem solver. And it's really just not the way we work. And in talent development in general, um, we need to partner with um, all of our other business partners and other stakeholders to get our work done. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really seeing that those skills, being able to collaborate and partner, are becoming more and more uh, important, um, especially as we go into 2022. Oh, absolutely. And I can see how that aligns with seeing the organization as a system as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, how about a couple of more? I love these. Let's keep going. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. So another thing that I try to do when I'm working with my clients is focusing on adding value. So when I go in and I did this, you know, in my office at ATD, it's kind of a a value proposition, if you will. But when I go into an organization, I try to look at um, what I'm bringing as an individual or what my team is bringing as a team and then ask myself, how else can I add value? How can I position myself to make my expertise as available to my clients as possible, but also how can I add value? How can I make the project feel like a better place to be? How can I help this engagement move forward and um, that it's a better place to be because you know, we've all worked together. And so part of that probably links back to that discussion about collaboration. But part of it is also just having your eyes open for different ways you can smooth things along and make people feel glad they're part of what you're doing. Nice. And can you talk to us a little bit about effective interventions that can help with performance improvement efforts? Sure. Well, there are tons of interventions. So one of the things that um, I think we can do is there's there's a whole range. And if we look at what the causes of the problems are, we want to match interventions. So one of the reasons we do interventions and talent development people and everybody in the world is familiar with training. So sometimes we find out that there is like a knowledge and a skill deficit. People don't do what we want them to do because they don't know how. Maybe it's new. Um, maybe it's changed. Maybe uh, they're just not properly prepared to do the work. So that's one of the things that we can look at. And quite frankly, in organizations, people often come to us and say, oh, these people aren't doing what we want them to do. We need you to train them. 
So that's kind of the first, the, the first, um, uh, arrow in the quiver is training. Um, but you know, really there are a lot of other things like sometimes an organizational system needs to be adjusted. Um, what if I could, if people were forgetting to ask a customer a question, but I was able to add to that system a prompt um, right at the point of performance that, you know, made that question flash in front of the performer. And then the performer would more likely remember to ask the customer that question. Um, that's a very, very simple example. But, you know, we are interfacing all the time with organizational systems and those dictate a lot of the times the way we perform. One of the best, most reliable ways to change people's performance is to change the system within which they're working. I see. And, you know, I'm thinking about the role of talent development and what it plays in supporting organizational outperformance. I know that there are a lot of different industries that leverage the same tools. Have you found that depending on the industry, there are common interventions or uh, solutions that tend to be used the most? Well, I think if you look at the research and performance improvement, training is almost always part of the challenge. Um, It's almost always a piece of the solution because we're we're changing the way things happen. Um, But you could have things like changing the incentive system. You can provide new or better tools for people to do their work. You can redesign the job. Um, you know, for example, when you call customer service, the people who answer your call, if everybody takes every call that comes in, they have to know so much. But if we find a way to cue those calls so that some people get the more advanced questions and some people get the more basic or routine questions, um, we can reduce what people have to know, the kinds of mistakes they can make. Um, We do performance nudges all the time. So if you want to eat more vegetables, wash your vegetables and put them in clear plastic containers right at your line of sight in your refrigerator. That is a prompt to you to eat more vegetables. So we can, we can change everything from an organizational system, like an incentive system, giving people a a tool, um, giving people just a little nudge, you know, during, during COVID, there was a big focus on hand washing. Well, putting Soap in convenient places and hand sanitizer in convenient places was a nudge to help change the performance or encourage the performance of having clean or sanitized hands. Yeah, it sounds like that's one of the ways to identify the gaps in performance and improve some of these uh, knowledge and skills to close these gaps. Are there other ways that um, you see add value depending on the industry? Well, all industries have organizational systems. All industries have tools and resources. All industries have job design. They have hiring criteria. 
Um, you can change the hiring criteria and that impacts how people can perform. Um, so I think when you're talking about improving organizational performance, one way to answer your question is that there are, you know, just suites of things that you would bring to the table depending on what the problem is. Um, again, people often look for training first where it's often really just a part of a solution. Um, I think the other thing to keep in mind when you're looking at solution sets is they really have to match what's causing the problem. Are people not... Um, meeting the quality goals because they're being paid to push out a certain amount of quantity, no matter what the waste or the, the problems are in their production. Um, are people um, not being paid as much as folks down the street are? And so um, you're not able to attract the candidates for the job. Um, are people put into a culture where they don't, the manager doesn't share expectations or provide feedback on performance? And so they really don't know what it is they're supposed to do. And they're sort of kind of on their own making things up. So there's all those uh, kinds of things. Some of them are really very simple to address and others are much uh, buried, more buried into the organizational culture. So the other thing, Letitia, that I would say that we have to be sensitive to um, is the context in which we're working. So some types of solutions might be better received in one type of organization um, or by different groups of people than, than other types of solutions could be. Okay. You make a good point. And I love how you're kind of addressing the impact that it can have when it is not a match, when we are doing something because of maybe it's an initiative or maybe there is a budget that has um, an impact on this. What about the talent development um, professional reputation when they are not meeting those goals, they're not closing those gaps. Are those concerns that you find uh, that sometimes needs to be addressed? Oh, Letitia, that's that's really a great point. Um, I think we in the talent development industry owe it to our stakeholders and our audiences to bring our best game to the table. And if we're not able to get demonstrable results, then we're in a situation where we don't need to exist in an organization. So I think it, it's incumbent on us to know the best, the evidence-based best practices for the work that we're doing, whether we're doing um, OD, whether we're doing, you know, talent strategy and management, whether we're doing change management, whether we're working with big data, whatever our, our uh, capabilities are, if we're not able to show value and demonstrate a return on the investment, at least for what we cost, the organization, then I think we find ourselves in a very precarious position. And I know right now I do a lot of work with learning functions. There are a lot of learning functions that um, are being questioned about the value of the things that they create and what they provide to the organization because 
you know, maybe they're focused on creating kind of one size fits all things. And, you know, one size fits all is not a good look on anybody. Right. And I'm so glad you're sharing this because we have a lot of instructional designers who listen to our podcast and uh, they probably want to know where can they get additional information on those best practices? How can they find resources to help them? Well, that's a great question. And I would say for instructional designers, um, a lot of instructional designers will say to me, and my, my PhD is in instructional systems. So I started my career doing a lot of instructional design work. I still occasionally um, turn my hand to that. But I think we can really change the game by staying focused on whenever we're creating an instructional um, intervention by being clear about what people need to do differently. So doing our due diligence before we jump in and start designing by asking the right questions of the right people. Um, Another thing that we can do is make sure that the practice in the things that we're creating in in our training matches what people have to do on the job. So that authentic practice um, makes a big difference. Giving good feedback makes a good difference. You know, training, just taking people away and giving them um, a single event of training typically doesn't change their behavior unless there are some other organizational supports in place. So for instructional designers, I encourage them to read instructional design um, texts, follow people who have, uh, who focus on the performance focused elements of instructional design. And there are a, n- a number of things that are out there um, and a number of authors. I think, um, you know, you'll see Guy Wallace, who um, talks a lot about performance in instructional design. Um, Guy Wallace, Julie Dirksen, um, Judy Hale. Uh, I'm trying to think of instructional design specific authors who, who do make sure that the work that they do has an impact on the business. So, Dawn, I have absolutely loved the tips and resources. I mean, there are so many different ways to be able to engage yourself within performance improvement. But I'm curious what tips you might have or thoughts you might have for somebody who might see a need within their organization, but perhaps not know how to get started. You know, sometimes you see those opportunities or those challenges and it can feel a little overwhelming or maybe just, you know, a little bit more of a reach to be able to make those recommendations, get the right people on board. So I'm curious where you usually see performance improvement opportunities stem from, you know, is it practitioners, is it leadership? What ideas do you have for somebody who might want to address something within their organization? That's a really great question. So I think where most people start to expand into the performance improvement space is when they're doing training and they start to evaluate it and they find that it doesn't always work. So if if you're not evaluating Um, you're probably far enough away from organizational results that those performance improvement opportunities are not clear to you. Mm -hmm. Um, If we can start looking at 
um, ways to improve numbers and what that system looks like, I, I think that's key. I think the other thing that often happens, and I'm going to talk about this as like a bad example, is that there'll be an instructional designer who says, oh, I really want to improve performance. And so they go out and form an opinion about what the problem is and then go knock on doors and say, this is my opinion about what the problem is. The challenge with that approach, and you may be you may be right, but if you're not systematically gathering data from the right groups of people, management is not going to listen to what you have to say. And that and and again, there's no guarantee that anyone listens to anyone at any time, right? Sure. But I think if people really want to get started in the performance improvement space, they look for an opportunity where there's a recognized issue. They look for a sponsor in the organization, somebody who is high enough up that they can uh, address the need. They can, you know, assign resources to it. They are in a position to help put a solution in place. And then you have to then be prepared with the skill set to move forward. You have to be able to gather data and make your case. You have to be able to understand um, how to do a, a gap analysis and a cause analysis. And then you need those collaborative skills, those consulting type skills to underscore with uh, these the stakeholders and with your sponsor, you know, what might be happening and what you could be able to do you and or your team in order to make a difference and see if they'll let you give it a try. I love how attainable that sounds. And I love the idea of almost socializing those ideas before you really start to elevate them, build that support, get people on board, honestly gives you an opportunity to work out any potential challenges that you may not have seen. So I love that idea. I think that's something you can really use, especially I'm, I'm sure we have a lot of people listening today who recognize a need in their organization and are looking for that inroad to be able to get those conversations started. That's a wonderful way to to actually make it happen. Thank you. That's great. Okay. I cannot believe it's already this time, Dawn. At the end of every episode, we like to ask our guest rapid fire style questions. Each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. I love it. Okay, here we go. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. So if you're looking for a pretty comprehensive book on how to do performance consulting um, that includes strategy and tactics, I recommend the Performance Consultants Field Book by Judith Hale. I love that. I have that one. Um, okay, so what tool, what's a tool that you cannot live without? All right, so I'm not a huge tool fan, although I like tools that help me in my work. I've been trying to go paperless, and I found a little tablet called the Remarkable 2 that replaces all those 27 different colored pieces of, of you know, um, <laughs> what I'm calling tablets on my desktop Uh with one electronic tool that allows me to organize notes from interviews. I can draw pictures on it, which is 
makes it better for me than typing because I like to look at relationships among things. And I've had it now um, for a couple of months and you couldn't get it away from me. Mm. We are in such an alignment. I'm writing on one right now. Are you really? Yes, I love it. (laughs) It's so awesome. I have like at least 40 notebooks on there. Oh my gosh. I'm in the same boat. I just, I love it. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's see if we're in alignment on this last one. Here we go. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think the best piece of advice I was ever given was to be an advocate for the learner or for the user. Mm, And, you know, a lot of times um, we get into these very large scale, at least the kind of work I do, large scale solutions. We're worried about everything from change control to colors and all these other things. We want to make sure that the end user, the consumer of whatever our solutions are, is always front and center, that they have a good experience. And not only that, that we're able to focus on the results that they need to achieve from their point of view. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you. Dan, we are so happy you joined us today to share your wisdom and knowledge with our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, we learned a lot. And thank you to my amazing co-hosts, Chris and Stephanie. Oh, this was enjoyable. Thank you. Yeah, I absolutely love how results focused this work is. I so appreciate you sharing your insights. Well, thank you so much. And many thanks to our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in partnering with our chapter? For more information, visit dcatd.org forward slash partnerships dash sponsorships. Would you like to be even more involved in our wonderful community? Go to dcatd.org and click on volunteer to get started.